0: Last time that we we took a text from Romans chapter 9, we talked about Paul's burden for the lost. More specifically, we talked about his burden for his fellow Israelites, whom he called in verse 3, his kinsmen after the flesh. This week's lesson begins by listing the special blessings and benefits that God has given to the Jews. and. And it talks about that special place that they have played in in God's redemptive plan for humanity. Now, some have taken uh, the couple of verses we're going to look at this morning and have misconstrued them as evidence that the Jews are still favored by God in the New Testament era. But that approach is not faithful to Paul's purpose in these verses. These verses are intended to illustrate the tragedy of, of the Jewish rejection of Jesus. This is what breaks Paul's heart. The singular purpose behind the blessings enumerated in verses 4 and 5, which we'll cover this morning along with verse 6, is the selection of a nation that would bring the Messiah, the Savior of the world into the world. Everyone of the blessings and privileges and promises that were given to Israel were about the process of salvation for the whole world. And the blessings of Israel culminated in the birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The Jews could not see that. They were so absorbed with the privileges of being a Jew that they neglected and even rejected the intended result of, of those privileges. God brought salvation to the whole world through the Jews. That was his plan all along. That's why he called Abraham out. That's why he designated Abraham's seed as a a nation that would be set apart under him. The whole purpose of the entire process through the Old Testament would culminate in the birth of Jesus Christ. The problem with Paul's kinsmen after the flesh was that they glorified the means and ignored the end. The very people who were elected by God to bring the Redeemer into the world rejected that Redeemer and became the children of wrath. That's the tragedy that has broken Paul's heart. That's the tragedy that makes him come to such an impassioned plea in, in the first three verses of chapter 9 that he would, could, could even wish himself a, a curse from God if it would lead to the saving of his people. The thing that has so bothered him is that they are blind to the fact that for all of their privileges, they have missed the most important thing in the Word of God. They have missed the day of their visitation. And so this morning, we're going to look at Romans chapter 9, verses 4 through 6. And we're going to take a look at that situation that exists with the Jews. Now, I said this at the beginning of chapter 9. We're in kind of a parenthetical uh, portion of the book of Romans. This, This chapter and the next two chapters really deal with the nation of Israel. But there are truths here that can be applied to our lives. And there's great benefit in studying this with the understanding that uh, this this deals with the lost nation of Israel. Beginning in verse 4, it says, Who are Israelites? He's talking about his kinsmen after the flesh, and he is identifying them. They are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel beginning with verse 4, Paul's kinsmen after the flesh, who are the Israelites. And and, and verse 4 contains six distinctly Jewish privileges. We're going to look at each of them this morning in order. The first one was, to whom pertaineth the adoption. The adoption refers to the fact that of all the nations in the world, of all the people on the face of this planet, God chose Israel to bless and to use in his redemptive plan. He, he chose that nation, the lineage of Abraham... They were chosen by God to have a special relationship with him, to, to bring about the redemptive plan of God. They, they became, by virtue of God's choosing them, they became the children of God, and he became their heavenly father. There was no other nation that could ever claim their heritage. There was no other nation that could ever say they were the children of God. But the Israelites... They were adopted by God. He looked out for them. He provided for them. And he even chastened them when they did wrong and when they were not obedient to his word. He was their heavenly father in a very real sense. So it was given to them the adoption and the glory. Because of the adoption of Israel as his own people, God revealed to them his glory like he revealed it to no other nation. From the beginning of the exodus from Egypt, the people of Israel were blessed with the visible manifestation, a visible presence of God, the form of a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God made his glory visibly represented to this people. When when God revealed the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, the glory of God settled there on that mountaintop. And the people of Israel, they saw that glory of God from afar. They saw that radiant cloud that concealed the very essence of the glory of God. But more than just a cloud, they saw the visible evidence of God's glory. They saw the visible evidence of the majesty of God. It was shrouded by a cloud, but it was abundantly evident to them that the God who had brought them out of Egypt, he was a God who was both mighty and worthy of all praise and glory and honor. The children of Israel stood in awe. Of the power and the glory of God as God manifested his glory to them like he did no other people. God's glory would be their constant companion. It resided in their tabernacle in the holy of holies. And the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole nation at times of sacrifice and at times of judgment. When Solomon's temple was dedicated, the glory of the Lord, the scripture says, filled the house of the Lord. It became so thick there. It became so prominent there that the priests could not do their duties. The manifestation of the glory of God became so known to the Jews, became such a thing that they gave it a name. They called it the Shekinah. That Hebrew word Shekinah means dwelling or presence. It was the, the dwelling place of God, the presence of God, that Shekinah glory. They saw that. No other nation on the face of the planet could lay claim to the fact that God openly displayed His glory, His majesty, his glory visibly before them like He did for the children of Israel. They were special. They were given the adoption, they were given the glory, And the next thing that Paul says is the covenants. Not one covenant singular, but covenants plural. That refers to all of the Old Testament covenants. The covenant between God and Abraham. The covenant between God and Isaac. The covenant between God and Jacob. The covenant between God and Moses. And even the covenant between God and David. Israel is the only nation on the planet, the only nation in the history of humanity that God ever entered into a covenant relationship with. They were given the covenants. And then all the rest that we're going to see, much of it flows from that. Not only were they given the covenants, but they were given the law. Not only did they behold the glory of God, not only did they enter into an exclusive covenant relationship with God, they also received the highest revelation of God's word and God's will for their time. They were given the Ten Commandments. They were given the law of Moses. They were given a physical representation of God's law. The psalmist said in Psalm 147 and 20, He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. And he ends that statement with the words, praise the Lord. They were a people chosen by God. They were a people set aside by God. And they received the privilege of being the only people who could ever say God wrote his own word in tablets of stone and gave it to them went on to say not just the giving of the law, but the service of God. The special privileges that God gave to the Jews included the opportunity to serve God more completely than any other people in the world would ever serve God. That word for service is a verb that is usually used in the sense of worship and that highlights the fact that service to God is an act of worship unto God. And the Israelites served God. They worshiped him in the tabernacle and in the entire ceremonial system of the law and and the sacrifices and the offerings. They they served God and they worshiped God in all of those ordinances of the Old Testament that pointed to the coming Messiah. Every sacrificial lamb pointed to Jesus Christ, every offering they made, every time they served God in worship, they were working through those things that represented Jesus Christ. All of their service unto God was an expression of worship. They showed forth the praises of the one who delivered them from Egyptian bondage. They worshiped him in their service. And then finally in verse 4, he says that they were given the promises. Because they were the people of God, because they were the heirs of Abraham, they became the heirs of all of the promises of God. All the promises of the Old Testament were theirs. That included the promise of salvation, the promises of deliverance, healing, protection, preservation, prosperity. All the blessings, all the promises of the word of God, all of it belonged to them. And all of it ultimately pointed to the coming of the Messiah. All of the promises of God would find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Verse 5 says, Whose are the fathers, and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God blessed, forever." Amen. So we'll start with that first phrase again, adding to the, the list of the benefits, the privileges of Israel. Th- whose are the fathers? The fathers belong to them. That word is the word for patriarchs, and it means that the mighty men, of, uh, many mighty men of their heritage, they belong to them, but most notably the founding fathers of the Jewish people, Abraham. Isaac and Jacob, the patriarchs, they belonged to them. They were Jewish. They, dis- they were distinctly of the line of Israel, and they, they belonged to the Israelites. And from the perspective of the Jews, because God chose those men to become the foundation of his chosen nation. That made them not only national heroes, but it made them the greatest figures ever in the history of the world. God called Abraham out of her, out of the Chaldees, and told him, I'm going to make of you a great nation. That made him very, very special in their eyes. And so they were proud of that heritage. They were proud that they could trace their lineage back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The fathers belonged to them. And then he says, of whom as concerning the flesh, Christ came. This is the point of the whole process that we've just went through the whole listing of the privileges and the blessings of being a Jew it all culminates here this is the climactic wonderful privilege that belongs to the Jews the human ancestry of Jesus Christ is traced through a Jewish lineage he is a descendant of Abraham by the flesh that's the blessing for which all the others was, were a means to the end. The all, everything else, the, the, the adoption, the, the, the choosing a nation, the showing them his glory, the giving them his law, the, 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 the giving them the opportunity to worship him in service, all of that was to culminate in the Messiah. God would manifest himself in flesh, and God would come for the saving of the whole world. That one purpose was the reason why all the other blessings existed in the first place. Unfortunately, the Jewish nation as a whole rejected this last and greatest privilege when they rejected Jesus Christ. All of their blessings all of their privileges, all the things that separated them from all the other nations of the world, all of that was about the coming of Jesus Christ. But somehow, they became so fixated on the blessings. They became so fixated on the process. They became so fixated on the privileges of being a Jew that they missed the very reason why They were blessed in the first place. Then he says, of Jesus Christ, whom as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who, that word who, refers back to Christ, who is overall God, blessed forever. Amen. After noting that the man, Jesus Christ, was born of the Jews, Paul adds that he is ruler over all, the supreme God. There is no clearer statement anywhere in Scripture of the deity of Jesus Christ than what is on the screen before you this morning. He is overall God. Blessed forever. Amen. I know your your King James English shows a comma there. There is no comma. There are no commas in the Greek language. There is no comma in the original text. And if you read newer translations, they try to break it up in a multitude of different ways. They they'll put semicolons there. They'll put some even put a period there in the starting of a new sentence. None of that appears in the Greek. There is no division there. When he says of Jesus Christ, he is overall. He's God, blessed forever, amen. In all of Paul's writings, in all of Paul's scripture, everything that he wrote in the Bible, this is the most direct and powerful affirmation of the supreme deity of Jesus Christ. After the flesh, he was a Jew. But after the Spirit, He was the Almighty God, the Ancient of Days, the one who was and is and forever will be. He is God, blessed forever. Amen. That scripture identifies Him. It identifies Jesus Christ as the one God of both Testaments. He is a God of the Old Testament. He is the God of the New Testament. A Jew would never use that title, God, to represent anyone else but the Jehovah God of the Old Testament. They held strictly and devoutly to the Shema, which is Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, which says quite emphatically, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's only one God. There's only one who can claim that title of God, blessed forever. Amen. And this verse clearly states Paul's Belief in the full deity of Jesus Christ. It clearly says Jesus is that mighty God. Amen. Verse 6 then says, For as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. First of all, in the first half of that verse, Paul anticipates. An objection from some of his readers who might say that if it's true that all these blessings and privileges were given to the Jews, but now they're lost. Remember, that's what started this whole process. Paul starts in the first part of the chapter that he, he is, has such a burden for his kinsmen after the flesh that are separated from God. If, they, if they've if they been given all these promises, they've been given all these privileges, and they've been given all these blessings... And now they're separated from God. Someone might rise up and say then that the promises and privileges and blessings of God did them no good. They were of no effect. The word of God seems to these objectors to have failed the Jews. It would seem that Abraham's seed was good enough... To bring the Messiah into the world, but now they have been cut off from the promises of God because of their unbelief. But the truth of the Word of God has, the truth is that the Word of God has not failed. The Jews. The promises of God did not fail the Jews. The blessings of God did not fail the Jews. The privileges of God did not fail the Jews. The Jews have failed the Word of God. They have failed the blessings of God. They have failed the privileges of God. They have failed to fulfill. They have failed to see the fulfillment uh, that they should have seen. They failed to understand. They were the only people in the world that had the Word of God. And they missed. Somehow they were blinded to the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. Jesus. They of all people should have known who the Messiah was. They of all people should have recognized he was born in the city of David. Uh, He was conceived of a virgin. Uh, He was born just like the scripture said. They should have known it. Uh, They should have understood it. Uh, They should have seen him. Uh, They should have been the first to embrace him. Uh, They should have been the first to lay hold uh, to the heritage that was theirs. Uh, They should have been the first to recognize the fulfillment of every promise that they've been given but they were so blinded by their privileges that they missed the very purpose for those blessings Jesus Christ was the ultimate seed of Abraham but they were so caught up in the idea that they were Abraham's seed that they would confront him They would try to use their status as a seed of Abraham against him. He would look them in the eyes and he would say before Abraham, was, I am. Said your father Abraham, he saw my day and he greatly rejoiced in what he saw. But you, you're blind to what you're seeing happen right before your very own eyes. The word of God never failed them. They failed the word of God that was given to them. The latter half of that verse is the key to understanding this whole passage all the way through verse 13. The Jews were God's chosen people, but their failure to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ does not affect the truthfulness of God's word. The promises of God were never meant For all of the descendants of Abraham. They were meant rather for those who had the same kind of faith that Abraham had. And we'll get into the rest of 7 through 13 next week, but we'll see, begin to break that down as we go down through the rest of this. This portion of scripture will see him begin to point that out there. There are those that were after the lineage of Abraham that were cut off from the blessings of God. It wasn't just about the blood that flowed through your vein. It wasn't just about being able to claim your heritage in Abraham. It was about faith. It was about having that same kind of desire for God and the things of God that Abraham had. There's a definite exclusiveness of the promises of God that is restricted to those who Walk by faith like Abraham did. So, Paul says, For they are not all Israel which are of Israel. And that seems kind of confusing, and uh, particularly in, in the English translation. What he's saying is, Not everyone who is after the seed of Abraham after the flesh is after the seed of Abraham after the spirit not everyone who can trace their lineage back to israel is going to inherit the promises of god because his promises are for those that are of the lineage of abraham after the faith after the spirit after the the spiritual things of god that's the point this is the place where most biblical scholars point out that there are two different israels in this this portion of the scripture, there is a natural Israel and there's a spiritual Israel. And not everybody, not everybody who belongs to the natural Israel in the Old Testament belongs to the spiritual Israel. The natural Israel is, is is a fleshly, carnal concern. You can trace your lineage back to Abraham. But the spiritual Israel is a spiritual issue. It's about faith. It's about obedience to the Word of God. It's about having a relationship with God. That spiritual Israel includes those who are of the lineage of Abraham who demonstrate that they have the same faith that Abraham had. So that second Israel is a subset. It's just a portion of the greater Israel. In in the Old Testament... All who were Jews were a part of the nation of Israel, but only those who were Jews and obedient to God were a part of that subset. Does that make sense? That smaller portion, that spiritual Israel. Now, Paul's point in these three chapters is to address the condition of the Jewish nation. But it would do no harm for us at this juncture this morning to point out that Gentiles, that's you and I, who walk by faith and who follow after Jesus are grafted into the spiritual nation of Israel. They're joined into that subset of the spiritual Israel. They, they're joined into that group that has embraced the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And together, Jew and Gentile together, who are obedient and faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ, they form the church, which becomes a spiritual heir of the promises of God. And all of the promises and all of the privileges that once belonged to the Jews, they now belong to the church, Looking back to Romans chapter 8 verses... 14-17, through Paul said, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Uh, Adoption by God was once a a Jewish privilege. It was once that the Jews could say, we're the only nation on the face of this planet that has ever been adopted by God. But that is not their privilege alone anymore. It is the privilege of those who are led by the Spirit of God. Those that are filled with the power and the presence of God. The church uh, that is obedient to Jesus Christ, that spiritual Israel, they can claim that spirit of adoption. There was a time that only the lineage of Abraham could ch- claim to be the children of God. But now, today, that right is reserved for all those who have. The faith of Abraham. Some are Jews and some are Gentiles, but all are born again. Now, all have been born of water and of spirit and have entered into the kingdom of God and are a part of the Church of the Living God. We have that promise that once was the heritage of the Jews. We are adopted by God. The glory was once exclusive. To the Jews. It once resided solely in their tabernacles, solely in their places of worship. They were the only nation that could say that God had shown them His glory. But when Jesus came, the Bible said in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 that He was the brightness of the glory of God, the express image of His person. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that the church was endowed with greater glory. glory. Glory than that which was done away with when the old covenant passed away. And he concluded that chapter in verse 18 with these words, that we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same spirit from glory to glory even as by the spirit of the Lord. I want to tell you this morning that it used to be that the Jews could say we're the only nation under the on, on this planet, we're the only nation under the sun that has ever seen or experienced the glory of God but now in some sense that glory of God which inhabited the holy of holies uh, now lives in my heart Uh, it now inhabits my life Uh, we have become the temple of God we have become the dwelling place of the glory of God he has touched our lives with his glory and now his glory shines through his church We are now the people who bring, who show the praise, bring forth the praises or show the praises of him who brought us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. His glory now shines upon and through the church. It's a different era. It's a different age. It's a different type of Choosing and adoption and showing forth of the glory of God. The covenants of God were once exclusive to Israel. They once belonged to them and them alone. But now, according to the writer of the book of Hebrews, Jesus has become the mediator of a new and better covenant Uh, this new covenant uh, has done away with the old covenants uh, and completely replaced them establishing a new standard for who is the people of god that new covenant uh, is a covenant of faith uh, and it's given both to the jew and to the gentile all who embrace uh, the gospel of jesus christ uh, are made partakers of this new covenant in this new covenant relationship with god The Bible said he hath written his law not on tablets of stone, but on the tables of our heart. Amen. That law that once belonged exclusively to the Jews. He said in his church, he said, I'm going to write my law in your hearts and I will be to you again. God, uh, and you will be to me a people, uh, amen, that thing that was once uh, theirs and theirs only now belongs to the church uh, in a new and better way. It's not just written uh, on tablets of stone that are hidden away in an ark of the covenant somewhere, but it's written on my heart, uh, amen, there is a convicting conscience uh, of the law of God uh, that abides within me in the dwelling of the Holy Ghost in my life, uh, amen, it's better than it ever was was before. It's greater than it ever was before and it's not the privilege of a, of a human heritage. It is the privilege of the heritage of faith in Jesus Christ. Those who believe and are obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ they become the church and the church has received those privileges. Not only does he write his law in our hearts but now we have become the servants of God. Now we worship Him through our service to Him. We have become the heirs of the promises of God. All of the Jewish privileges that were given in verse 6, all of them now belong to the church. All of them now belong to us, not to the exclusion of the Jews, But to the inclusion of every single person, whether Jew or Gentile, no matter the race, no matter the ethnicity, no matter the creed and the color. All people who faithfully obey the gospel of Jesus Christ receive those better, it's better privileges than the Jews had. Everyone who repents of his sins is baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins and receives the gift of the Holy Ghost is grafted into that spiritual Israel. Today's passage, it underscores a vital truth. The Jews were a blessed people. They were a privileged people. But somehow in the midst of their blessings, they lost sight of their purpose. Their religion became more about the privileges that God had bestowed upon them than about God himself. One of the greatest tragedies of the history of humanity is that the very people to whom the word of God had been entrusted were the people who were blinded to the fact that it was being fulfilled before their very eyes their religion was more about trappings and rituals and ceremonies than it was about God that's the problem with religion for the sake of religion alone that's the problem with just going through the motions just going to church just being religious for the sake of being religious alone Church was never meant to be about form and ritual. It was never supposed to be about the privileges and the blessings. It was always supposed to center on God himself. And the Jews became so immersed in their carnal version of religion that they lost sight of the spiritual importance of what God had given them. Listen this is all about a relationship with God. It was then, and it is now. It's not about sitting on a pew. It's not about your positions or jobs in the church. It's not about your finances or your talents, and all of those things are important to the operation of the church, but it's about knowing God. It's about having a genuine, real relationship with God. If you come to church and you sit on a pew, And you hear all the preaching in the world. But you never have a personal experience with God. Can I be the first to tell you? It has done you no good. It has done you no more good. Than it did for the Pharisees. To be able to trace their lineage back to Abraham. And say they owned the promises of God. It is entirely possible. As demonstrated by the Jews to completely lose out with God while maintaining the appearance of being religious. Would you stand with me? Brother Ryan, would you come to the music? I want that to sink in for a minute. There was nobody more religious than the Jews. There was nobody more devout in their allegiance to The one true God. What separated them from everybody else? They didn't worship some trio of gods or some multiplicity of gods. They didn't worship multiple deities. That was what separated them from everybody else. They worshiped one God, they worshiped the one true God. But somehow in all of their religious fervor, somehow in all of their rightness, somehow in all of their, their correctness, and they were correct, the hero of Israel, the Lord our God is one. And He desires and demands... Your worship and attention to his word and to his law, he desires and demands that you follow him and that you do the things that he has required of you, but somehow they built a religion that was made of all the substance of what God required, but was empty of God himself. Somehow they built a religion around the 600 plus commandments that are in the Word of God, that thou shalt and thou shalt not. And they got the form right and they got the substance right. And, and, and they got down to all the nitty gritty. And they knew just how to look and they knew just how to walk and they knew just what to do. And they even knew what to say, but they didn't know God. It was empty, it was shallow. It was religion for the sake of religion alone. The very real threat exists today that there will be churches. Paul said it this way having the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. It's very possible to sit on a Pentecostal church pew, to be oneness apostolic, to have a truth that nobody else has, to understand the identity, to understand that he is God above all, to know who Jesus is, to have a form of godliness, to have the the ritual and have the have the all the trappings right and have all the motions right, sing the right songs and do all the right stuff, and and to know the rules by heart, but to completely miss God, to have a form of godliness, but not have any power in it. I'm just going to be honest with you, my friend. I don't want to be a part of that kind of church. I don't want the Pentecostals of Lake City to become a church that's got all kinds of structure but is empty of power and authority when it comes to the presence of God. And I don't want my life personally to be a life that is lived in ritual, religious acts, without any real relationship with God. You see, the church... Composed of the people. This church will be. What you and I are. And today the question falls. At your feet. How is your relationship with Jesus Christ? Is he more real to you today than he was yesterday? Do you have the. That fresh anointing, that fresh touch of His presence in your life? Or, or will you be honest and say, you know, Pastor, today I, I'm just kind of just going through the motions. Kind of stuck in a rut. Spinning my wheels, but I don't really feel like I'm getting anywhere. See, my altar, my altar's broken down at home. I, I used to pray. I used to have a place of prayer. I used to have a regular ritual of prayer. There was a time and there was a place, but oh, life is so busy. Surely God understands life is just so busy. I, I, I don't have time. and I have time for everything else. I got time for a whole lot of things that are frivolous, that, 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 that waste my time, but I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to get in contact with Him. I don't have time to... Feel that fresh anointing of the Holy Ghost in my life. I just don't have time. I used to read my Bible. I used to study the Word of God. I used to I used to let it speak into my life, and I've discovered that the Word of God it cleanses me and it washes me and it, it speaks to situations and circumstances in my life like nothing else can, but here lately I've just been so busy. that My Bible's kind of fallen by the wayside. I just wonder today, you see, we're so quick to point our fingers at that nation of Israel that utterly missed, we're so blind, how can you be so arrogant, how can you be so blind but we fail to recognize that we, if we're not careful walk the exact same road the presence of God is in this place right now in a very rich way and I know that he's calling each and every one of us to a closer walk with him It's about relationship. It really is. It's about relationship. Holiness doesn't flow from a rule book somewhere. It flows from relationship with God. Righteousness doesn't come from the standard that your pastor sets. It flows from your relationship with God. Good godly living doesn't come just by obeying the rules that exist in your life. It comes from a heart that wants to please him. I'm asking you in this place this morning, if you'd come to this altar, find a place of prayer. Turn your heart towards heaven. Whatever it takes, God, I must be saved. Whatever it takes, God. Whatever it takes, God. I must be saved. Above everything else, above all that's in this world, If I do everything else right and I miss out, if I do everything else right and and I don't get that, that anointing and that power and that presence of God in my life, if I miss the reason why, if I miss the purpose that's in it all, then I've missed it all.